There was a pastor, and he was sitting in his office one day, and the phone rings. And he answers the phone, and it's a lady who's been a member of the church for a long, long, long time. In fact, she's been a part of the church since she was just a little girl. And she says to the pastor, she said, Pastor, she said, God has put a burden on my heart for school children. And I really believe that we need to start an after-school program for the children of our community. And she says, Pastor, I, I really believe that, that you and, and the people of the church need to start this ministry. And the pastor said, absolutely not. And she was kind of taken aback. And, and she said, what do you mean, absolutely not? And he said, well, it's real simple. He said, if it's the burden God has put on your heart, then you are the one he intends to do it. You are the one he intends to do something about it. We live in a ruined world, and I believe that God puts a burden on our heart for some part of that ruined world. I believe that all believers, God will put a burden on your heart for some part of that ruined world. And when he puts a burden on your heart, you are the one that he intends to do something about it. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a burden for starving children halfway around the world or if it's a burden for the disabled man that lives down the street from you. I really believe that God will put a burden on our heart. And if God puts a burden on our heart and we have wept over it and we have prayed over it and if God is opening doors, then we are to pursue it. We're not to stand at a distance and watch. We're not to stand at a distance and let somebody else do it. God intends for us to pursue it. And guess what happens when we do that? Well, we become leaders. We become leaders. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just want to have the burdens I, I don't want to become a leader. But think about this. It's the burden that God has given you. And if it's your burden, then there's nobody better than you to lead the effort to do something about it. There's nobody better than you. He didn't give you the burden to dump off on someone else. And you might say, well, I, I, I can't lead anything. Sure you can. Listen, God put the burden on your heart. If God put the burden on your heart, that means God has a vested interest in that burden. And if God has a vested interest in that burden, then he also has a vested interest in seeing you do something about it, which means not only will he equip you to do something about it, but he will also empower you to do something about it. Because Nehemiah acted on his burden, Nehemiah was transformed from the cup bearer to the king, the guy that tasted the king's food and wine to make sure that there wasn't any poison in it. He was transferred from that to being one of the greatest leaders of all time. Now, the burden that God puts on your heart is not going to take care of itself. Now, even though he could, rarely does God just directly intervene in some dramatic way. 
God generally prefers to use just the plain, ordinary believer like you and me to do something about the burdens that he has for our world and the burdens that he places on our heart. Nehemiah is a great book on leadership. It's a tremendous book on leadership. But guess what? It's not so you can take the book of Nehemiah and go to your pastor or your boss or your coach or whomever and say, hey, this is a great book on leadership. You need to read it. Well, we do and they do, but it's written to you. It's written to you. It's written to you to be an example of how to be a leader when God puts a burden on your heart. There's a lot to learn from it. So as we go through Nehemiah today, in this particular part of Nehemiah, we're going to talk about how God not just intends for you to be a leader, but how he equips you to be a leader, and also the advice that he gives you on how to be a leader, following the example of Nehemiah. We're starting in Nehemiah chapter 2 in verse 9. Nehemiah takes a huge step. Verse 9 says, So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. The three important words in that verse are the first three. So I went. So I went. Nehemiah had the burden. He prayed. He wept. He went to the king. The king had given him papers. The king had given him permission to leave his job for a while. The king had given him materials to go back and accomplish the job. But none of that would have been any good if Nehemiah had stayed put. It says, so I went. That's the first thing about being a leader is you have to take that step. You have to take the step. Take the initiative. It's what Nehemiah did. But what we soon find out is where there's opportunity, there is also opposition. Now, although we're going to deal with opposition next week in, in some detail, uh, you can't really ignore it here because it keeps popping up. Verse 10 says, When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Just because you are doing what God wants you to do, just because you have the authority to do what God wants you to do, just because you are empowered to do what God wants you to do, does not mean that you're not going to face opposition. In fact, it's going to be there. Always in some form. I like what Charles Swindoll says. He says, When you walk by faith and seek to lead, you will encounter the hostility of people who walk by sight. Whatever your burden is, whenever you begin to act on it, there's always going to be someone or some group of people that are going to be very much disturbed that someone has come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And you can take out Israelites and put anything in there. Whatever your burden is, you can put it there. 
whatever you do, there are going to be some people who are not going to like it that you've come to do something good. And usually, it's the person or the people who have the most to lose if you succeed. The most power to lose, the most influence to lose, maybe the most money to lose, maybe a combination of those. But those are the people, more often than not, that are going to oppose you. Now, we'll hear more from these two guys a little bit later. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. He says, So I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in, the, in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Again, three important words here, after staying there. It's kind of odd. Nehemiah is all fired up. He's taken this bold step, and he's completed this 800-mile journey. And you'd think he'd hit the ground running. But what does he do? It says he goes there, and he stays three days. Now, we don't really know what he did during those three days. Possibly he rested. That's a long trip. He wanted to be fresh when he actually started the work. Maybe he took time to meet some of the people that were there. Remember, he was an outsider. He wasn't born there. We really don't know what he did. Maybe he prayed. Maybe he planned. But the important thing was that he took his time. He didn't rush. It doesn't mean that he didn't still have that urgency about what needed to be done. He did. But there's a big difference between having an urgency for something and rushing into something. And Nehemiah is a great example of not rushing. Nehemiah was a man of faith and Nehemiah was a man of patience. Because we're only about halfway through chapter 2. And six months have passed between verse 1 in chapter 1 and where we are now. Six months. So this has been a process. It didn't all happen overnight. Nehemiah is a man of faith and Nehemiah is a man of patience. But a key point here is that faith is not an excuse to ignore organization and planning. So here's what he does. It says, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up in the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. He says, I went out, I moved toward, I went up. Nehemiah does a personal inspection. He does it himself. He had gotten reports of what the situation looked like. But he went out himself, the leader, and he made an honest and he made a personal appraisal 
of the trouble. The rubble, as we just read, was so bad in some places that he had to get off his horse and walk because he couldn't get through. The Babylonians were pretty good at, at destruction, and they had done a good job of destroying the wall. But as a leader, Nehemiah wants to know exactly what the situation is that he's facing. He wants to know exactly what it is. Now, he might be thinking, man, this situation is far worse than I thought it'd be. It's far worse than they told me about six months ago. But I tell you, when you're acting on your burden, you always need an honest evaluation. And you always need to see things for yourself. Why? So you can plan. So you can make a plan. You see, some people go out and they'll see it. They'll, they'll do that. They'll go out, they'll look at it, and they'll make an honest evaluation. And that honest evaluation is things are pretty bad. But then what happens is they'll, they'll go, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. But Nehemiah didn't do that. He went out, he made an honest evaluation. He went back and he sat down and he said, okay, let me break this down into manageable sections. And we'll see that a little bit later. How he broke it down into manageable sections. But he was able to do that because he went out and saw for himself. So, when we go out and when we look at the situation, don't be afraid if it looks like more than you can handle. God wouldn't have given it to you if it was more than you could handle. Make an honest evaluation. And then sit down and through prayer and using God's guidance, come up with a manageable plan to carry out what he has set in your heart to carry out. Now, one thing you need to remember. Now, see, Nehemiah has said, I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. Even the people he took out with him, he, he just didn't tell him what he was doing. But at some point, at some point, you're going to need people to help you act on your burden. Doesn't matter how big or how small the scope. At some point, you're going to need help. Now, a lot of leaders like to do it all themselves. Uh, a lot of leaders try to do it all themselves. They think, well, if I can just do this myself, it'll be done right, you know, and I don't have to bother anybody and all that kind of stuff. That just doesn't work. I like what Mark Roberts says. He says, a leader's all is too small. I like that. A leader's all is too small. Nehemiah could have gone out by himself, worked day and night, worked hard, worked with commitment, worked with determination. But one man could not do the whole job. His all was too small. And he knew it. And if you're going to lead, if you're going to be a part of carrying out and acting on the burden God has given you, you need to realize that at some point you're going to need help. To really accomplish this, <laughs> your all is too small. So here's what happens. Nehemiah goes before the people. Verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. 
They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Nehemiah goes before people who are demoralized. Nehemiah goes before people who had lost hope. Nehemiah goes before people who had been ridiculed and who had been laughed at by the people in the surrounding area. So Nehemiah, the new guy in town, had a challenge before him. But how did he handle it? Nehemiah combined wisdom with truth. Now, he calls the people together, and here's what we learn. Well, he tells them the truth. He says, look, he says, this is a bad situation. The walls are torn down. We, we have no protection. But you know what? He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't go before them and say, look, we're in a terrible shape, and we wouldn't be in this condition if you guys hadn't sinned in the first place and, and caused the Babylonians to come in and destroy all this. No, he, he doesn't blame anybody. He just says, here's where we are. Here's where we are. Doesn't matter whose fault it was. Doesn't matter how we got here. Actually, it does in the repentance area. But, but look, we're not going to blame anybody. This is where we are. And you know what he says? He says, we. He identifies with the people. He doesn't say you, you, you. He says we. He identifies with them. He's from 800 miles away. He's never been there. But yet he identifies with them. And he says, this is the trouble that we are in. It's our problem together. But he's positive. And he says, we can rise out of this. He strikes a chord with them. They were the people that had been ridiculed and harassed constantly. And he says to them, we're going to rise out of this so that we're not the people who are ridiculed anymore. And then he identifies where the strength is. It says he told them about the king. That would be encouraging that we're going to do this with the king's permission. In other words, the government's not going to come down on us when we start. But he identifies the real strength when he says we're going to be able to do this because God's hand is on us. You see, when you go out and you become a leader and when you need people to come to you, Be honest. Tell the truth. Tell the truth about the situation, but don't blame anybody. This is where we are. This is where we are, and this is where we have to go from. Identify with them. Be encouraging. Be positive. We, we can do this together. We can change this situation. And then put the power where the power is. That God is the one who is going to help us do this. And who is going to bring about the success. Let's rebuild. Let's go for it, the guys say. Let's start rebuilding. Home Depot might say, let's do this. But what happens? It begins. Six months after the burden that God has put on his heart, Nehemiah actually gets to the point where they're ready to build. But, verse 19, But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and now here's the third one, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? 
I answer them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Remember I said earlier, the opposition is going to come with the people with the most to lose in power, in prestige, in money. Sanballat is the governor of Samaria to the north. Tobiah, the ruler of the Ammonites to the east. Geshem, the leader of the Arabs to the south. They opposed fortifying Jerusalem because it threatened their political power. They didn't care about the plight of the Jews. They didn't care about God's name being exalted in Jerusalem. All they cared about was themselves and their power and their prestige. And so what do they do? They ridicule and they throw out false accusations. That's what will happen when people start to oppose you, when you start to work. They'll ridicule you. They'll downplay what you're doing. They'll give you a hard time. And then they'll make up stuff. Like, you don't have any authority to do that. Who gave you the authority to do that? These people said, you're rebelling against the king, aren't you? How did Nehemiah respond? Well, here's some words again. Three words. He says, I answered them. I answered them. Nehemiah confronted it head on. Nehemiah didn't send an associate to go talk to him. Nehemiah didn't say, oh, oh, well, well, let's sit down and talk. No, Nehemiah confronted the situation. He dealt with it. There's a time for diplomacy. This wasn't it. Nehemiah knew these people were going to be against him no matter what. So he confronts it. And he draws a line and he says, look, you have no part of this. You have no claim to this city. Plus, we don't want you even in here working. Because all you're going to do is try to mess things up. Nehemiah confronts it head on. And you know what he could have said in answer to when they said, are you rebelling against the king? He could have whooped out the papers. No, here are the papers from the king that gives me permission. Ha, ha, ha. Not what he does. He says, no. He says, God. God is the one. The God of heaven will give us success. Not only is it his authority, but he's the one that's going to make it happen. In spite of them. Now, as we'll see next week, Nehemiah's troubles with these guys aren't over. And this is a tough call in leadership, knowing when to negotiate and talk through problems. And when to just meet it head on. It is, and it takes a lot of discernment to know when to do that. But at this juncture, Nehemiah makes an important call. It's an extremely important call, and it's a call that if you're going to be leading, you're going to be called on to make. Nehemiah is faced with this. Over here, he's got a ton of people who are fired up, excited, and ready to go to work. And over here, he's got three people who are disgruntled and don't want it to happen. Now, Nehemiah can go to these people over here and say, Well, folks, 
let's, let's put this on hold a while. So I can go over here and see if I can get these people on board with us or maybe make them happy or, or whatever. Chapter 3 shows us Nehemiah's choice. And it's an important choice that you're going to have to make. Where are you going to put your focus? Where are you going to put your focus? In chapter 3, we learn Nehemiah's choice. There were 38 individuals who are mentioned in chapter 3. There are 42 different groups who went to work in chapter 3. Among them, people from many regions, people from many professions, people trained and untrained, male and female, fathers with their sons, fathers with their daughters, people taking ownership and repairing the areas around their homes, religious leaders, even the high priests, civic leaders, except for some snooty people from Tekoa, and my personal favorite, verse 14 of chapter 3. This is the only verse I'm going to read from chapter 3. This is my favorite. The dung gate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, of the district of Beth Hakaram. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Yep, the dung gate is what you think. It was the worst piece of real estate in Jerusalem. It was the gate that led out to the city dump. And who knows what all got dumped there. They didn't have all these rules and regulations that we have now. To make it worse, there was a fire that burned constantly in this dump. So if you're working on the dung gate, not only are you smelling the landfill, but you're also smelling all this stuff that's burning. And if the wind shifts, you're dealing with the smoke from all this stuff burning. In fact, this place was so bad, Jesus actually used it in Mark chapter 9 to describe hell. It gives you an example. If you're a leader, though, here's what you've got to ask yourself. Here's a key question you've got to ask yourself. Are you more inclined to spend your time pressing ahead and going to work with people like Malkijah or arguing and defending yourself to people like Sanballat and his buddies? Nehemiah made the right choice. Nehemiah confronted the opposition. He said, you have no part of this. He goes to these people and he says, let's go. Let's do it. And even a noble says, hey, I'll volunteer. I'll go to the worst place here. And I'll take care of it. Which group would you rather work with? Don't be afraid. You know, don't, don't neglect the task at hand. Don't neglect the people who are on your side, who are backing you, who are ready to go for you. Don't neglect them at the expense of trying to deal with three people that are never going to be on your side anyway. Go for it. So, are you ready to lead? Well, you might say, well, that sounds like it's kind of a daunting task. It is. It is. Le le leadership's not easy. And it can be daunting at times. 
But if it's your burden, and if you prayed over it, and if you lead, God's going to give you the tools. He's going to give you the people to follow you and come alongside of you to help you. And God is the one who is going to give you the success. God has put a burden on the heart of every believer. You may not know what it is yet. You may not have felt its weight yet. It may not have led you to weep yet. But if you are a believer, God has put a burden there. And and I just want to say, if, if you haven't identified it yet, just keep praying. He'll show it to you. But if that burden's there, and if you've prayed, and if God's opened doors... Man, walk through them. Walk through them. Take the lead. Here's why. As Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give you success. You can't lose with God on your side doing God's will. So don't be afraid. Take the lead. Let's pray.